0: Log Talk Radio right book milk it's not trek talking it's book milk it's monday night a little bit later than usual but we're here and we're going to be talking about a uh a really interesting star trek discovery novel called dead endless but first i want to introduce my trek spurts with me as always is eric eric's out in portland how you doing tonight eric i am doing very well thank you very much it
1: is a nice fall day here in portland we got up to about 55 with a light rain today and it's raining just about every night which uh Means my grass finally started to grow. You see, in Portland, our grass goes dormant over the summer, turns brown, but in the with fall, it uh, fall and winter starts to grow again. So, time to bust out the mower for the first time all season.
0: Oh wow, jeez! <laughs> it's and weird, uh,
1: it's a weird schedule, that, man. I'm telling you,
0: that that is strange. It's, <laughs> like, that's that's kind of like like a mirror universe or or uh, ooh, something like, like that, that maybe, yeah. or you know. <laughs> or, or it could be, could be a multiverse maybe Who knows Ooh. Yeah, interesting And we also have with us Charles Charles is out in Las Vegas, baby How you
2: doing, Charles? I'm doing good We're having a bit of a cold spell ourselves We got, I think, about the mid-60s a day Being windy No rain, but windy, kind of chilly You might finally see 70s coming soon and maybe one more eighty
0: for the year. Wow, you know, up here up here in Vermont we cracked seventy. I definitely know we're we're in a uh, mirror universe now when Vermont is the warmest place. That's just not right. We're uh, <laughs> we're in a mirror universe. This is right now, that's where we are. Dun 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 dun. Like the Twilight zone. A
1: little a little foreshadowing there, a little foreshadowing. It, it
0: could be, it could be. <laughs> I was just I was just out there just having a, a, a sausage pepperoni and mushroom pizza, and it, it had a little mycelial taste to it. But I don't know. <laughs> <laughs>
1: I think I had some mycelial on my cheesesteak today too. <laughs>
0: yeah. <laughs> so guys, you might notice that it, we're on at nine o'clock Eastern Time. Ah, uh, this is Book Nook, and uh, we haven't had a Book Nook in a while. And uh, Dead Endless has been sitting on our shelf for a little bit now, and we decided to pull it out, blow off the dust, and move on. So, Comet Corner is back, and Book Nook is back, and we're working on getting Stunt Tricks back with the Leslie Hoffman. So, we'll have our full array of podcasts up and running for you guys before you know it. But, without any further ado, tonight we're going to be talking about the Star Trek Discovery book, Dead Endless, by David Gallanter. And it's based on the Star Trek Discovery series, of course. Uh, the USS Discovery's speciality is using spore-based updrives to jump distances faster than any other warp-faring Starfleet vessel. To do this, Lieutenant Paul Stamets navigates the ship through the mycelial network. After responding to a startling distress call originally from within the network, the Discovery crew finds themselves trapped in an inescapable realm where they will surely perish. Dun, 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 dun.
2: And uh,
0: we know that's not the case because then there wouldn't be another book. So uh, we know they don't perish. But that's what we're going to be talking about tonight. Our phone number here is 646-668-2433. I'm eagerly awaiting November 18th. I hope the Discovery theme song at the beginning of the show puts you in the mood to talk a little discovery, Uh, so we're going to dive right in, and uh, I I just, I want to start off here uh, by saying that, uh, spoiler alert, I I guess we should start off with that, right? I mean, is this?
2: Yeah, yeah,
1: I think you got to. I think you got to do it, I think you got to do it, because uh, Book Nook is all about the spoilers, so cue it up, Jim.
0: Yeah, yeah, I got to find it. You know, I don't know why they don't put these things in alphabetical order. It's so, so much easier to find, don't you think? i gotta, I got to scroll through 97 sound bites to find the one I want. But um, yeah, at any rate, well, the old ones. well I, you know, I thought about that. But you never know when I want to pull one of them out, you know, that's from time true, to time. True. Sometimes, there it is. There it is. So here's your warning, guys. Black
2: alert, y'all. We are about to make the jump
0: to some serious spoiler territory. It-
2: Black Alert,
0: y'all. We are about to make the jump to some serious spoiler territory. It- so I don't think I'm spoiling anything too much. Well, I'm going to spoil it, so there. But, um, you know, when you start reading this book, quickly realize what the hell's going on. This is, well, it's is not it, right. Is first, it
2: quickly, though? That's the first thing I warned you both about when you
0: read the book. Yeah, well, it's, like, it's,
2: okay, I just, um, it's not I, going to go quite the way you think it is.
0: I just got to say that last week or the week before, one, what, we had an article that we read on, our, on Trek talking about how the new Star Trek novels are going to be more in line with episodes and not the writers just going off on tangents about all kinds of crazy stuff and, and things. And uh, that all of the, the future Star Trek books, Next Generation, Deep Space Nine, Voyager, Enterprise, were all going to be based around something that's happened in canon, as in something we've seen on TV or in a movie. Up to now, the Star Trek books have just gone off wherever they feel like going. Star Trek Discovery, though, has not. All, every Star Trek Discovery book that we have read to date has either filled in a gap or centered around something that we're familiar with. This book Jim, is no.
1: And, Jim, that is always identified at the beginning of each Discovery novel with the little historian's note. Like, every single yeah. book that we've had so far gives you a little historian's note that says where it fits into canon.
0: And this book is no different. And... I'll tell
2: you.
0: I just think that... I mean, I've only read one Discovery book so far that I was... did not impressed with. But um, every other one that we've read, I've thoroughly, thoroughly, thoroughly enjoyed. And um, this one is no exception. So, basically, we were talking about Well, before I get there, I'm sure you guys listening, if you read this book and you're listening to this podcast, you obviously watched Star Trek Discovery. You guys think that's a safe assumption? I think so. I
1: think it's a safe assumption, and and hopefully they've watched season two, because that's where they need to be, right?
0: I think so. And if you guys have watched Star Trek Discovery, then you know that Captain Lorca, this is a major spoiler. I mean, this this is gonna blow your mind when I drop this bomb on you. But Captain Lorca is from the Mirror Universe. Yes, you heard you heard it here. Dun, dun, dun. I you heard it from me. you. Yes, I ruined the whole season for you. Captain Lorca is from the Mirror Universe. When he has Stamets do the 272 jumps around the Klingon sarcophagus ship, and Saru comes in, and he all these holes on the map represent parallel, you know, possible, theoretical, parallel yeah. universes, okay? Only theoretical because they didn't go there yet, but they do. And they. so now we know that those holes are not theoretical, but are indeed pathways to, to alternate universes or, or what they call the multiverse in the Marvel Universe movies. So we know that Star Trek has pretty much come out and said that that exists, and we know that, for a couple of reasons. We know about the mirror universe, where everybody's evil and has a goatee. We know that. But we also have the Kelvin universe, which is another version of the multiverse. So, we've seen versions of the multiverse on Star Trek before. It's nothing new. But in this case, we see a third multiverse, which is very interesting actually. And in this particular multiverse, what would happen if Michael Burnham was able to stop the Klingon war before it started. Now, now we can go around and around and around with this. I personally don't believe that she started the war in the Vulcan. Hello. I I think that I just don't think that she was responsible for the whole thing. And we can talk about this till we're blue in the face, but um, I just don't feel that her actions solely started the war. But In this multiverse, in this alternate universe, that never happens. Giorgio never dies, and she becomes the captain of the discovery. And that's where we pick up with the story. And something that I I really enjoyed about it is not only does it fill in a gap that was sorely needed, is what happened to Dr. Colbert? Where, Where was he? For those four episodes. Um, How did he get there? What did he do there? How did he survive there? But the author really. Did something awesome. Because. The author pulled in Ephraim. From the short treks Ephraim and Dot. You guys remember that animated one. With the tardigrade And the DOT repair droid. Um, It was a great animated episode. That goes through all of the different. Star treks we. It's really fun. Anyways, he brings Ephraim into it. And Ephraim and Culber hang out in the mycelial network. And it's, it's, it's really interesting. It's a lot of fun. And I, I, I really enjoyed it. Um, it took me a little while because he kind of talks like Yoda, kind of ish, <laughs> sort of like.
1: Well, it, it, except that he always it, says – the difference with Yoda is that he just switches where his verb is, but with Ephraim, he he's, uh, he always says yes and no. Like every single sentence well, he is would, binary. He would.
2: He would. Yes. But the thing is, wait, he doesn't really sit there and change his verbiage. He comments past, the present, and the future. All at the same and time. all the future at the same time.
1: And possible yeah, states of, of of being within each one. So he both is and is not currently. That's both present tense, but it's either – but he'll say he is and is not, which is so trippy. And,
0: and I, and it, it took is. me a little bit to get used to reading when he talked. Um, it took me a little bit to pick up, to, to get that straight, but um, I, I did enjoy it, actually. I thought it was really clever the way the author, you know – squeezed him in there and actually fleshed out that character and turned turned him into a full-fledged character which we don't really know much about him we saw him floating around in the animated short track and uh you know michael and uh and tilly um let him go with some spores and he flies off into space presumably into the mycelial network um and they do refer to him in the book as ripper which is interesting because that's what they yep. named him on Discovery. So I thought that was a, a nice little tie-in. But one of the things that I I I kind of got a chuckle out of, and the last book we talked about, I remember specifically that there was a lot of Star Wars references in the book, and three marks at two ten was one of them. Um, in Star Wars, they always said that three marks at two ten, and Luke looks up and there's three Tie Fighters, and and unless you were a total Star Wars geek like me and knew that you wouldn't catch that. Well, in this particular book, uh, Tilly is trying to communicate with the spore people. Uh, I forgot what they're what were they called? I, I, um, what were the names? Oh, the of ju- oh,
1: the ju- the Jujala. E. Lana- I'll think of it. Yeah, yeah. it's
0: like that. Yeah, then they're, they're not stalactites. <laughs> something different and she's trying to communicate with them and she starts humming five notes from a movie
1: Oh, and at the, first
0: that race yes dun, 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 dun. i'm like yep. oh my god yep. it's 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 close encounters of the close third time and i got a <laughs> chuckle out of it because i'm thinking to myself wait a minute close encounters of the old kind of the new kind is old right now and Three thousand years from now would be ancient history, but Tilly still remembers it, which is cool because she also likes David Bowie and Prince. So it went, it fit with what we know about her character, and I, I got a little little chuckle out of that because um, they didn't mention Close Encounters, but that's what they were talking about. And I just I I, I enjoy it when an author throws something in like that 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 really has no impact on the story whatsoever. And um if you caught it, great. If you didn't, great. But in this case I caught it and I was like, oh wow, close encounters of the third kind. That's that's funny. (laughs) I just I gotta chuckle out of it. But um I I I I enjoyed it. I really uh I really did. Once I once I wrapped my brain about what actually was going on and that this entire this entire story happens in the multiverse. And none of it is relevant to what what we know. And uh, it was also really cool to see the Glenn and um, Stamets. I forgot the guy's name. The uh, the guy that gets turned inside out in the first season of Discovery that helped Paul Stamets just, um, build the Yeah, His, his, board par-
1: his, his partner. I'll, I'll find his name. I cannot remember
0: his name off the top of my head, but I'll find it here in a second. But it was really cool to meet him. And the of the the crew of of the Glen that we never get to know because they all get turned inside out and they show up, which is really cool. And um,
1: Stra- is the guy's name.
0: Straw, that's which, it. Straw.
2: Which is why we kinda of have to do the multi universe because the discovery can't be rescued in our universe. They actually need some another somebody from another universe to be able to save them because the Glennian R timeline does not exist anymore.
0: Exactly, and I, um, I thought it was really I thought that that Michael Burnham made a, a a really good captain, the way they wrote her, and Saru as 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 her number one, and. Um, Landry is still alive In this particular multiverse Because the Ripper never killed her Because that never happened So Landry, in case you guys don't remember She was a security officer Before Nan took over And uh, she's alive and in this book So it's really fun to revisit her character Because we didn't get to She's kind of like the Tasha Yar of Discovery She kind of came and went Before we really got to know her And we get to know her In this book, which is great and um, yeah, I really liked meeting Landry again and getting reacquainted with her. And and one of the dynamic one of the dynamics I really liked was how Stamets doesn't know Culbert in this multiverse. In this multiverse, yeah. Stamets was his typical pompous ass self, like he was in the beginning of Discovery when you just hated him. And kind of him and Paul never never quite get together. And Paul goes off and serves on the um uh, USS Constitution. Was it? No.
1: Yeah, but it's actually and it's actually in the book it's actually Colber who's a little too prickly and turns you know. Stamets off. So yeah. It's like even <laughs> it our it's kind of I thought it different. was kinda of interesting that it was it was Colber was the one who was prickly because usually Stamets is of course over prickly.
0: Yes, yeah, always. But Stamets falls for, the cul- for, for our Colbert, who also falls for the other Stamets. It's starting to fall for him, actually. And uh, that whole thing, I thought, was, was great the way they wrote that and the way you got to see that relationship build, which is something we didn't get to see in Discovery. So I thought, I thought that was really, uh, really clever as well. So there there was so much going on in this book, actually. I just, I enjoyed it. But listen, I, you know, I've talked enough. Eric, what did you, what what were some of your high points? What did you think about it?
1: Um, Well, it was interesting. I was so glad that I was reading this book with two friends and that uh, Charles had actually already read it by the time that I got around to it, because I got about a fifth of the way through the book and I was like, you guys, I am not sure I can keep going. Like <laughs> I didn't understand what was going on. None of the characters were doing what they were supposed to be doing, what they were supposed to be doing. People were alive that weren't supposed to be alive. And I didn't and Charles had warned us and but I didn't really get it until the moment that they introduced um, um ca- uh Captain uh, Sneakle Martin Green. <laughs> you know, like yep. once they introduce her in the book, then I was like, "Oh, now I get what's going on." So, here's what I will say: I not knowing going in, like if you're listening to us, you've already gotten a spoiler alert, so it's already been spoiled for you. But if you go into this book not knowing, I I personally found the first like fifth of the book in, incredibly frustrating. Uh, I did not like it. I was I was like, have they gone back to the old ways? Are they giving me a story here that doesn't fit into canon? Um, And then once I got it, I was like, oh, that's pretty clever. Okay, okay, I could get into that. So so push through that first fifth. Um, I think if I were to go back and read it again, I'd probably like that part just a little bit better, but it it, it took me a little bit. And then, you know, so then, after that, you sort of get into the story, and you kind of understand a little bit more about what's going on, and you kind of understand where everything fits in the story. Um, some of my favorite parts—you've already mentioned some, Jim. So a, a fram or a frem, the tardigrade. So what, one thing that I don't know if you guys know or not, but in the original, you know, idea, the original pitch for Star Trek Discovery. They wanted to have a tardigrade crew member that was actually like on the bridge um who would be just be a normal part of the crew and and I think that you know part of it was special effects and part of it was trying to figure out how to make a likable character that was a tardigrade. It was much easier to make a scary tardigrade and name him Ripper
2: <laughs> <sort of> <laughs> uh.
1: So it's cool that they brought that name back in Fremen and dot, and then, of course, they brought it back here. And so here's what I'll say. I did like his character, but through two-thirds of the book, every time you talk, you hear him talk, he's going to give you both answers every time, yes and no, left and right, up and down. And it can become just a little bit maddening after a while, <laughs> like you you just realize that every time he opens his mouth. He's going to say both things, and so any question that Culber asks him or any time anybody talks to him, the answer is sort of meaningless, because the answer is yes and always, right? Um, so that that part was a little frustrating to me. And and then, you know, the fact that none of these are the Prime Universe characters and none of them are the Mirror Universe characters or any of the characters that I've really gotten to know, except for the Culber who's stuck in the mycelial network, I... I kind of was reading through the book like, oh, my gosh, I just realized any major character could die at any point along the way, and it really wouldn't mean a thing, right, because it only happened in this particular universe. So I think the concept was really interesting. I loved the Stamets and Culber stuff in this book. That was probably my favorite part of the book was them exploring their feelings of what does it actually mean. Like if you met your partner from a different universe, is it right or wrong for you to fall in love with that person if you already have somebody else waiting for you back at home? I think that's a really, really interesting question and and this book actually explores that pretty pretty deeply, I think, and it explores the feelings of the two men and like which one is which one has kind of already been on board the whole time and which one is like, oh yeah, that's right. You were that weird dude that I saw many years ago, and oh gosh, you are kind of nice, you know. I just, I really liked the Stamets and Culber stuff throughout the book. So that was, that was probably my favorite part. Um, You know, before I pass it on to Charles, I guess the last thing I'll say is that my, if the Stamets and Culber stuff was my favorite character development part of the book, my favorite plot stuff in the book was absolutely the last fifth or third of the book when they actually do the first contact stuff. Like when they get to that part of the story and you get to meet some aliens and stuff, some stuff happens. I found that really, really interesting. So this book was a little hit or miss for me. It kind of like soured me at the beginning and ultimately I didn't really care about a lot of the characters because they were from some other universe and I didn't know whether they were going to die or not through the whole thing. So it was hard to like invest my emotions into them. But in the end, it's a really cool first contact story, and you get a beautiful story about Stamets and Culver. So that's my that's my summary.
2: Charles, what do you think? Well, okay. Characters that you didn't really have ties into, but we still had connections to the Discovery crew. And I love some of the work that was done with Tilly. And reference back to her book. Mm -hmm. I love some of the references that tie back into Tilly. Because they're like, okay, how do we communicate with this race we can't communicate with? And the reason we get the five bars from Close Encounters is Tilly decides to use the math in the language and how would Tilly Know to incorporate this back in that was one of her projects back in school which we don't know about unless we've read that book yeah so Charles do you
0: you think that the, the do you think the writers the authors of these different books do they read the other books and try to connect the other books together like that? Or do you think that was just like an
2: accident? Uh, I don't remember the the author on this one. I think the author on this one is a Tilly.
1: Well, no, no, different author. This one is David Galanter, and the Tilly book was, of course, Ina McCormick, so...
2: Um, I'm going to say, I think some of these authors like this may very well communicate. They may discuss some of what they do with other Star Trek authors. And may very well have taken some of what was written in that book and say, well, how about doing this with Tilly? Because I did this with Tilly. Oh, that's a great idea. Let's use that.
1: You know, I bet one day we are going to see things that come out in the future. Like there was a book of Tilly that they developed and everything that you needed to know about Tilly was, was in the Tilly book, the, re- the writers from discovery. And, you know, they've got all this backstory on her that they've kind of thrown into the book and different writers from the show and different writers from books and that kind of stuff can go and reference the book of Tilly. I don't know that it exists, but <laughs> it sure feels like everybody's kind of, got the same backstory for her and really understands where she's coming from. And I think you guys are right. You can't really do that unless everybody's either drawn from the same source or reading each other's books or something.
0: Well, that I, you know, like I was saying at the top of the show, that's one of the reasons why I find the Star Trek discovery books to be so engaging. And that's because each one of these books is like a link in a giant chain and they're all interconnected in one way or another. So if you read all the books, it's almost like the books are their own multiverse from the TV show. You know? Except they do fit in. Yeah.
1: Well, it's true. Multiverse, yeah. And, but the prime characters, like, they never go outside of canon, right? So it just adds, like, when, remember when we read even the Picard books? We read those Picard books and we're like, oh, now I get
0: why he made those decisions because everything
1: fits in, right? <laughs> Yeah. yeah,
0: they're just, they're well, so well, it's, they're, it's almost like they plan them out. They don't just write a book about, you know, Picard going off over here and doing that. Um, it's almost like each one of the books has its own purpose and fits in a particular place. And um, yeah. it, it just, it all feels connected and it all makes sense. And it fills in a lot of the gaps. You learn a lot about the characters, and uh, I just—I really enjoy the way they're doing every book we read, except for the Enterprise War. I've thoroughly, thoroughly enjoyed.
2: Well, and the, the interesting thing about this book is this book has been out a while, but starts off just before season one ends. When we lose Culver, that's when this book, somewhere in that time period is when this book begins. And then I don't remember exactly when, but somewhere in the middle of season two is when this book finishes. And we get that jump in there where it's like, okay, we're not doing the prequel. We're kind of tying in, filling in the holes from... And near end of season one to the middle of season two. Well, wait a minute. Culver came back. Well, how did Culver come back? And we learn why. And what happened to him to reach that point. And what he went through. And he went through a lot because he was caught in the material network. And how to deal with being there, inadvertent way of getting oneself rescued. And, and I thought again. it was
0: cool how um, I forgot the name of what did Paul say? Paul when he was trying to navigate the Discovery home from the Mirror Universe, and he said there's a clearing, wasn't he? Said oh, something he said, like. There's
1: a clearing in the forest.
0: There's a that's clearing right. in the, right. And that's exactly what Colbert had to do. He had to find the clearing. The, the, the I forgot how, how it, how. He had he put,
2: to find his clearing. Yes,
0: he had to find,
2: he had to find his way
0: back to the he proper to clearing. clearing. And it was like, well, that's, that's exactly what Stamets was doing. When he was trying to get the discovery from the mere universe back to where they belonged, and damn yeah. it, stopped, I, and Colbert just had to do the same thing.
1: That's right, and the idea being that the the mycelial network itself is the forest, and
0: the universes
1: are the clearings, and they're all connected yes. together.
0: Yep, I thought that was really really clever the way they they did that. Because can you guys? Uh, sorry, go ahead, Jim. Because Colber was was well, Colber was thinking about staying there with Paul in the material network. Uh, he was going to stay in that universe with Paul. Well, yeah. it's
1: true. It's true. He was going to go with him, but the but uh, I'm trying to remember. Is it was there something that prevented him from going
2: with yes. or yeah? He was, wasn't. Right? He wasn't allowed to escape. He wasn't allowed to go through a clearing. He needed to go through his clearing. clearing.
1: Which is so interesting, right? Because that is almost like antithetical to the idea of traveling between the Prime and, let's say, the mirror universe. You know, you could obviously swap universes or go to a different universe, but... Can you guys remind me of something that I do that's one of the things that, honestly, I just did not totally get in Discovery, and maybe, maybe you guys will be able to explain it to me. But, but when Culber dies, so there's this idea that nothing ever dies uh, and that it's just kind of recycled, I guess, through the mycelial network. Is that why, – why is Culber findable in the, in the mycelial network at all? And, like, are all dead people findable in the mycelial network? No,
2: I think he got himself trapped in the mycelial network. But how? But how, how did he get trapped?
0: Well, I, 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 me personally, you remember the beginning of Discovery when, when Paul and, um, and Cobra were brushing their teeth. And they walk away from the mirror, and the reflection of Paul stays in the mirror after they walked away. Sure. Remember that? Remember that scene way back in season one? Yeah.
2: Yeah. yeah. Yes.
0: So uh, basically the way I understand it and the way I I took it is that Paul Stamets, it it, it basically is, is the mycelial network. When he, when he jumps the ship and he goes there, he's seeing all the clearings and the entire network and he's connected to all of it simultaneously. When when he got when he got lost there when evil stamits was trying to destroy the mycelial network in the mirror universe and he was trapped there. And then our I'll call him Prime Paul. When, when and Prime Paul went there, he he created a connection to our world. He didn't know that that Culver was dead. And he created his version of Culber in the mycelial network to help him find his way back to the proper clearing. And the mycelial network recreated uh, Culber through what Stamets, through Stamets's, uh creation and, and basically reincarnated him in the mycelial network. That's the way I understood it.
1: Interesting. So that puts uh, Stamets into the pilot seat of being able to create life in the
0: mycelial network. Well, no, he didn't. He didn't create or it. Or maybe uh,
2: maybe the mycelial network created life.
0: Yeah, from the mycelial his,
2: network. The mycelial from his network width. was able to, 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 to take take colder before he died and save him by implanting him. In the mycelial network.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think that what what is interesting is I think that every time they kind of talk about the mycelial network, they talk about this concept that it it is the thing that connects all things together. It's like the force, right? Except it's a except it's more of a place <laughs> that you it's, can you know to. What? It's,
0: it's like the Schwartz be with you.
1: <laughs> <laughs> and and so if if the mycelia network connects all things together, that means when something, whether something's alive or dead or halfway in between or whatever, it doesn't matter. It's all part of the mycelia network. And the thing that Paul can do because he has grade DNA is he can go in there and he can actually manipulate things inside the mycelia network. And the, um, the aliens that live in the mycelia network that, that uh, what's her name talks about that I cannot think of the name of right now, they are they are part of that too because they they live in the mycelial network um, and they help kind of. And then when 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 Culber's reborn, he's reborn into that little transporter sack thing that came from the spore that grew on Tilly, right?
0: Right. So it, kind of like when they when they created Tilly's uh, dead friend there. Um,
1: which whose name
0: I was just trying to think of, right, because she's the one that talks first about the aliens and what
1: their name is, and I wish I could remember their name. It's something with it. It's like the, the, j- the, the j the j set. j yeah. That's it, yeah.
0: That's what it is.
1: That's that it. Yep, that's what it is, yep.
0: But that that's the way I I took it, basically, was that the Mysterial okay. Network, they can create life, they can create um our life they can create life in the mycelial network and bring it to whatever plane of existence it needs to be in because and all life stamets, is
1: connected through the mycelial network
0: that's yes yeah, that's the way i took it I, I don't know if stamets i don't know if stamets created the life i think it was the the mycelial network that created that recreated um because remember we went through a few episodes where paul felt lost and and Didn't know who he was and was trying to deal with the whole, you know. Yeah,
1: of Imperfection is like episode five, I think, of uh, season two. So there's like a solid four or five episodes there where he's feeling pretty sorry for himself.
0: I mean, he beats the crap out of Ash Tyler and Saru just sits back and watches. Let's him do it. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, there's a whole (laughs) – it's not like he just came back and and he was here. I mean, he he had to to work through – What happened? Is he still him? You know, uh, you know, he actually, if I remember, yeah, he broke up with Paul and moved out of his quarters at one point. Um, Yeah. And it took, it took Jet Reno and her hangnail to bring them back together. (laughs) You know? So I think, I think that, um, that the mycelial network created what Paul needed to get back out and to get back where he needed to be. And that was Colbert. And because um, Paul draws his strength from Colbert, but Paul didn't know that Colbert was dead at that time yet.
1: So it's another philosophical kind of conundrum, kind of like the transporter, you know, there's, there's a, philo- a philosophy of if you're a transporter from one place to another and it breaks down all your molecules, you know, are you the same person when you get to the other end? And I think the answer is yes. And that's been proven. I think somebody wrote a paper on it, but it's, it's kind of the same thing here. Like it, you know, uh, if you, if, if, if Colbert dies and then is somehow
0: recreated through the mycelial network, is he the same Colbert? Right. And that's, that was one of the things that he had to figure out and it took a couple of episodes for him to, um, he even went, remember he even went and talked to Admiral Cornwall about it because she was a psychiatrist. Absolutely.
1: I have to tell and, you, some, uh, of the, some of the hard parts no. of this book for me too, are I don't, like, I don't. When it comes to horror movies and stuff, I don't like torture. And the scenes where Culver's just like hanging out in the Mycelo Network and he's being eaten up by the the little spores and stuff, and he has to stay next to the other trees to like not get eaten up by the spores, that's kind of like, ooh. Remember when he shows up in, in uh, yeah. season two there and his skin's all, you know, kind of blemished and stuff from things that have been attacking him
0: in the Mycelo Network? Whew. Yeah, and that that was the cool thing I thought about, uh, the book, like you said, that right. The last fifth or so, it just starts to really snowball and then you finally realize that what you're actually seeing is the leading up to the part where they actually find him at the end, you know, Mm -hmm. Uh, it it leads, it leads right up to that episode and he hears, he hears, he hears them coming down the hallway and he sees the lights and you're like, what's going on here? And then you realize what we're actually seeing is he found his way to the proper clearing. And this is the part where Tilly and Stan, where they come and find him and rescue him. But the book doesn't show you any of that because we already know what happened. And the book jumps back to, to the multiverse situation. Um, the entire book is multiverse, actually. It is. Except and for...
1: actually, the prime directive thing at the end is really cool, too. Or, the, I mean, the first contact thing at the end there is really cool because the race that they make contact with is like has been traveling the mycelial network for centuries. So they are, like, way beyond the discovery in terms of their mycelial network technology. <clears throat> and, in fact, I have, like, questions about whether – Uh, the discovery is actually breaking their prime directive you know (laughs) traveling through doing things in the mycelial network which i thought was really cool too so you're right they they expand like you go from not really knowing what's going on which can be frustrating but then once you kind of get what's going on they keep expanding on that idea of the multiverse throughout the book which is really cool
0: yeah, and and what what I thought was cool was that because they're in the mycelial network, time travels different there, and that's be- that's how Ephraim talks. Uh, you will, you were, you did, you won't. You know, he talked whenever when he talks to Cobra. That's the way he talks. Yeah. And well, when you realize that the the mycelial aliens, they're the same way. They're they're in between. They're they're trying they're trying to send themselves a message and that's the message that the discovery receives because they can send messages to themselves back in time and say, Hey, when you get to that door, don't open it. It's a bad thing. Open right, the other door is, instead. But the you small
1: know? difference there, Jim, which is amazing, and I the part of the concept that I really like is it's not even that they're sending it back in time, it's that the past, present and future are all happening simultaneously
0: simultaneously so they, it's
1: almost, yeah it's like it was, it's like a lateral pass in football right you're sending yourself a message but you're <laughs> but you're like right next to yourself you're not sending it backwards
0: <laughs> yeah they they needed they needed the spores because all their spores had had died and they sent themselves a message that they received it was I, you know once you i think you're absolutely right eric once you figure out the gist of it and you you accept what it is and you get into it it's it's a really good read
1: yeah it's definitely way better I think you know like well I've already expressed kind of the things that I was a little frustrated by I do think that I mean David Galanter he's he's a great writer um he did a really good book or really good job I think with uh like I said and Culber I also thought he did a great job with Landry. Like he I really like I want a Landry book, an alternate universe Landry book. That would be pretty cool. But they're they're just they're like I kinda wish the first part had been a little shorter and then maybe like the first contact stuff had been a longer. I I don't know. It took this wasn't the book that I couldn't put down. You know, there have been some books that we have read that I just could not put down. I mean the Tilly book. I read that book in like three days because I just, it was so, so good. And this book was, it was good for me. Um, I did not, I'm not going to go back and read it a second time personally. And I read uh, Drastic Measures twice. I read Desperate Hours twice. I read Way to the Stars three times. You know, like I just
0: like those books better. So the Lorca book was good too. I like that one.
1: Yes. And I have a list now in our notes. So you can always know which one is the Lorca book. It's Drastic
0: Measures. Uh, but why they name them so close together like that? I mean, just, just you know the way I think different. about it?
1: Here's uh, So here's how I remember it. Burnham and Spock are desperate. They are desperate, right? But Lorca and uh, Giorgio, they do drastic things. They are like uh, drastic people. So that's how I remember it.
2: <laughs> <they're>... <laughs> now, now it. you might
1: say drastic hours and desperate measures, and then I can't help you. <laughs>
2: <laughs> well yeah, then you're then you're up
0: the creek
1: without the paddle. <laughs> I can't help I can't help you there.
0: But you know, so I I did enjoy it though, overall. Um it, Charles, who read the audio? You read the you listened to the audio book. Who, uh, who read the audio. the audio?
2: I listened to the audio actually due to timing I actually listened to the audio three different times. And the third and time who, I was re- it was it was really good because I I re- I remembered the book well enough. It's like okay, I I know what Ephraim's saying. I understand why you think it and why things happen the way they did.
0: And who who was the who narrated? Who read the audio book? Okay,
2: was it I, the author? I'm... No, uh, I'm no uh, I think it was Robert uh, Petkoff. Robert Petkoff. Robert Robert Petkov narrated
1: he's just like yeah. one of those I mean he's in the industry he's done a ton of books
2: he also did wow. Dark Veil vale.
1: yeah he's done uh, he did like a Dayton Ward Star Trek book uh, I can't remember what it was called but he did that too yeah
0: but <laughs> Speaking of books, I, I ordered uh, the um, um The Book of Grudge.
2: Uh, I have actually, that on order. Did. Oh yeah, that was so did, fun. He did he did itself and Drastic Measures. He's read quite a few of uh, the Star Trek lately.
1: Well, the book of Grudge is going to be pretty epic. I think uh, it is. Uh, it's only fifteen bucks, people. So you should probably just go order it right now. Um, I think it comes out early December, so you don't have very long to wait. You'll have it in time for Christmas.
0: Yeah, I actually, I, I actually ordered the actual book and not, not the Kindle. I actually ordered the book itself
1: you have to man yeah. i mean it's the it's a hardcover book it's not going to be that thick i mean it's a 15 dollars hardcover so it's not going to be that thick but it'll it's still going to be pretty fun
0: uh, yeah we'll have to, we're definitely going to have to talk I'll, I'll i'll have aj come on and he can share his opinions on growth
2: <laughs> don't let him in the room jim don't
0: let him in the room no well, he's, here's, he's a, actually... here's a question
2: here's a question for you two what do you think of the scene when Burnham finally gets the, energy, in it, the engineering door open, yes, and finally start to be able to communicate with the alien, what do you think of that scene? And could you have pictured that in your head?
0: I'm I'm trying to I'm try, Is that the scene where where Tilly was doing the Close Encounters thing? Or was oh that was that the E I
2: e- uh, e- I E I e- O? Yeah. Oh
0: yeah, that's right. Yep.
2: When old oh, when old um oh, Captain uh old when old 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 Burnham old farmer Burnham had a farm <laughs> and he's got our backup singer
0: that's right. <laughs> <laughs> yep. That's, yep. <laughs> Pretty funny.
2: <laughs> that was funny. But that example, that, nope. there, but that, that is so silly. That is so silly. Mm-hmm. That's something silly would do. It is. And we learned that even from the book, that's something silly would do.
0: It's the power of math, people.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: Yep. So before we run out of time, because believe it or not, we are running out of time. <laughs> so uh, Charles, what was your your overall take of the book?
2: Take or score.
0: Yeah, I mean, what would you would you recommend it? Would you not? You know. Oh, I uh,
2: guess I would. Definitely, it's in the set. You need to read. You re- you really want to know what happened to Colbert? Because the two of you are now going to see scenes where Colbert talks about being lost. And you're now going to say, oh, I understand what he means by that. There were many scenes in Discovery where Colbert was talking about being lost. And I nod my head and say, "Yeah, I understand exactly what what's going on." And I think you're going to suddenly see those points again. It's like, "Oh, that's what he meant." It's going to fill in some of those holes in discovery that you didn't realize were there. But definitely, I think you do need to read it. I think for the serious discovery fans. That like getting some of those stories, it is definitely worth reading or listening to.
0: Absolutely,
2: I've been enjoying every one of the Discovery books that's put out. Even I even enjoyed Enterprise War that they had problems with. Yeah,
0: I you know I I picked that up on the uh, I bought the actual book, but I it was. 99 cents on the kindle and i figured for 99 cents i'll grab it who knows maybe i'll be up at camp it'll be raining and i want to torture myself and i'll read it again and maybe it won't be as bad the second time who knows but i i do have it on my kindle what about you eric what do you think about this book would you recommend it or not
1: i think overall i would recommend this book uh i think you know, when I look at the first four books that were written in the Discovery series, you got Desperate Hours, Drastic Measures, Fear Itself, and The Weight of the Stars. I put all of those books in the high eights and nines in terms of quality. Like those are all really, really good books. Weight of the Stars is probably a 9.5. Enterprise War, probably for me, about a five and a half or a six, maybe. I put Dead Endless probably around a seven, a seven and a quarter. Um, There are parts of this book that I really, really like. And there were parts where I was just could not wait for the chapter to go by fast enough. So overall, I recommend it, but it didn't knock my socks off. I hope when I read Die Standing, it's really, really good.
0: Now, uh, that's, is that, that's the next book is the Mirror Universe one, right? That's Die Standing. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Book seven in the series.
0: Yep, I think I've got that on my. Kid. I got that for ninety nine cents too, so I, I already, I'm already ready with that. But I, I agree. I I enjoyed the book. I'm I'm not, I'm not big into the multiverse stuff because, like you said, it's meaningless because, um, anybody, anything can happen and it has no repercussion on what, what we know. But I did enjoy seeing the backstory of Colbert, what he went through how he got there, how he got back, and and particularly Ephraim and getting to see the tardigrade and getting to know his character. So I I definitely recommend the book. (laughs) I would would give it an eight.
1: You do and do not recommend the book because
0: you did and did not like it? I I read it but haven't read it and would but wouldn't read it. Um, And you will and you will not read it again. That's right so I, I, I would i would i would probably I'd probably go in eight point five it's pretty good i think i, I it w- it was enjoyable and I, I had a really good time reading it. it's pretty particularly the end once we got to the first contact and they figured out where the aliens were and, and you know the phase shift and all that other stuff and uh, the Glenn shows up to rescue them and it just started really getting really 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 good near the end and um and and I also found it it's like I said at the top of the show, what would have happened if the battle of the binary stars never happened? And here's here's yeah. just a little glimpse of of what it could have been.
1: Yeah, so. in fact, at the at the beginning, it's kind of interesting because they call it the standoff at the binary stars because it never turned into a battle, and right. you know, it was precipitated by the fact that uh, Burnham didn't take the law into her own hands she actually trusted what giorgio was going to do and it uh, turns out it worked out
0: so how about that yeah and and that, that you know that's up for debate i mean
1: is it but... bad that i i, I just want to say this i know we got to go soon but is it bad that i really liked this captain burnham just a little bit better than the prime universe one <laughs> she seemed like less less volatile she seems like more in control of things
0: and less likely to do something unexpected. Well, this is the, see, you know, uh, the captain Burnham that we have has uh, went from being first officer on the fast track to becoming captain, to being a mutineer, being busted and working her way back up and learning all those lessons, you know, to get back to the captain's chair where she was. This Captain Burnham in this book never went through any of that. So it it is a different version, completely different version of Michael Burnham than the one that we know. You're absolutely right. Less of a chip on her
1: shoulder. Less of a chip. And I, I just, you know, I'm not saying that's a bad or a good thing because I think Burnham's chip on her shoulder in the show is part of her character and it is an important part of her character. And I respect that for sure. But I really did enjoy seeing a Burnham who was totally confident, totally in control, and didn't feel like she had to, like, go outside of protocol
0: just to get the job done. I I, I agree. And I liked Saru in this book, too. I thought Saru, yeah, Saru was her yeah. her ever-faithful first officer. I, I, I enjoyed it. Well, guys, believe it or not, we're down to two minutes. Um, we're just about out of time. We're going to be back with you guys on Thursday night for Trek Talking. And because there's no new Star Trek, which is an oddity, uh, we're going to be talking about one of my favorite Star Trek movies of all time, Star Trek Nemesis. So uh, pull out your DVDs or or, uh, however you watch Star Trek and rewatch Star Trek Nemesis. And make sure you give us a call at 646-668-2433 on Thursday night. And let us know what you thought about Star Trek Nemesis. I know what. I thought about it. Uh, we want to know what you thought about it. And we also have a Star Trek News and Star Trek Birthdays and around the globe, and we're going to have a lot of fun on Thursday night. So make sure you tune in and visit us on our Facebook page at Trek Talking and Beyond. Spell that all out and uh, give us a like. Give us a follow. And uh, yeah, so that's it, guys. We got to go. The, the lady's telling me we got 90 seconds. So... It's time to say goodnight. So I want to say thank you to Eric for hanging out with us tonight and talking about the Book Nook. Thank you, Eric. Thank you,
1: Jim and Charles. Good to talk to you guys, and thank
0: you to all our listeners. And thank you so much to Charles for hanging out with us tonight at this special time for Book Nook. Thank you, Charles.
2: Well, thank you. I've been waiting a good year or more to be reviewing this book, so I'm glad we finally got to do it.
0: We finally got it done. And of course, I'm your most excellent host, Uncle Jim, saying thank you so much for tuning in no matter where you're listening from. We really appreciate you. And I want to tell everybody, stay safe and be good to each other. Hailing frequencies are closed. Good night, everybody. Night,
2: y'all. Live long and prosper. Hot out. All right, then. Everybody ready? Yes, sir. fly.